podcast number 39. 39. 39. Please welcome to the coalition, Kurt Enzian. Woohoo! <laughs> else and they're like okay stop delete stop delete stop. Oh, yeah, yeah. so finally we're just like no just record it, with it and it is what it is all right we are currently recording <clears throat> all right all right so we're here with uh, kurt Enzian. Yeah, that i can flex <laughs> who is one of our <laughs> students <laughs> stop it <laughs> can't take you anyway um and uh he does uh he's a strength and conditioning coach uh as well as a New newly jiu-jitsu yes, practitioner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and one, one of the reasons why, yeah, and again, it's it's weird having a conversation, but always thinking that somebody else is listening to this. Yes, um, <laughs> one of the reasons why we we said we wanted to have this conversation was we've had some conversations in the gym where you were kind of giving a unique perspective. I think you said before how before when you were lifting, mm-hmm. there was there was almost like like a specific goal or a specific portion that you were always working towards. And you said, yeah. then you got into MMA and jujitsu and you're like, right. Yeah. You're like, it was so all over. Right. That. So how, how, how has that introduction of jujitsu and MMA kind of changed or enhanced, I should yeah. say enhanced where you're at from a strength and conditioning standpoint and, and how it's kind of altered your workouts a little bit. Yeah, so when I first started coming here, um, I was mostly doing powerlifting. So squat, bench, deadlift, and, you know, accessory stuff for that. And that was pretty much what I focused on. And the goal was just to get stronger, get stronger, get stronger. And um, I started coming here and, uh, sorry, I got the hair. Oh, that's okay. We're just recording all of it. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Got a hair in my mouth. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so I started coming here and I was, you know, I knew I was strong, but the type of strength I had just didn't, it didn't mesh with what I was doing in here. Right. And I fought it for a long time because I didn't want to give up what I was doing right. in the weight room because I had become attached to it. And I was like, oh, this is, this is my way of doing things. Like, this is how I need to do it. Like, this is how I learned it in school. And, right, yeah. you know, you do your periodization blocks and all that stuff. You peak, you go through different cycles. But with MMA, it was like, okay, I need to have all of my energy systems need to be efficient. Right. Because if I only have one thing and it's just strength, then everything else falls apart. And... It's not so much that strength hinders progress in here. Right. No, no, no. Yeah. yeah my, my personal belief is strength, although the, the, the phrase in jiu-jitsu is there's no strength in jiu-jitsu, but we know that's a lie. Right. The way we, we use it is there's no relying on strength yeah. as your foundation. Exactly. But it's good to have in your back pocket. 100%. You need it. Yeah. <laughs> if, if I'm doing the right technique – and then I have the muscle put behind it. Yes. Man, it's intense. Right. But if all you have is the muscle and no technique, mm-hmm. then you don't really have much. Right. And, and on top of that, too, like, because um, I went through a stint, too, where you I get was tired. doing marathon. <laughs> and I went and ran a, ma- a half marathon uh, last November. Okay. And I did a lot of running. 
that didn't help either. <laughs> like I came back and I was like, oh, my cardio is pretty good. Right. But the thing was, is like my cardio was good, but my muscular endurance was terrible. Oh, gotcha. Like the repeated bouts of, you know, doing different things on the mat over and over right. and over yes. again. Yeah. The muscles just was, they were burning through the glycogen and yep. everything. Yep. I just wasn't efficient at using the glycogen energy system. Right. Because I had done so much aerobic work doing marathons and stuff that my aerobic energy system, which relies mostly on fat, was very efficient, but the glycogen system wasn't. Right. So it was one of those things where, okay, now I need to work on that, but how do I work on that without hurting my aerobic capacity? Yeah. And how do I work on those two without hurting my strength? And um, what I come across was uh, actually came from powerlifting, um, the West Side method, the conjugate method. Um, this is something that uh, Louis, uh, Louis Simmons uses, okay. West Side, West Side yeah. Barbell. And um, it's not the exact thing that he does, because he does train some MMA fighters. Um, and I've never actually trained at Westside, so I can't say like I train Westside's way. Right, right. Because I've right. never actually been there. Just kind of playing with the concepts. Right. I understand the concepts of doing like maximal load and submaximal, then rep work and right. then, uh, lactic acid work and stuff like that. And uh, it's just getting it to fit. So, like Robbie and Naomi and Carlos all come to my gym and, right. and do training sessions. But I tell them, I'm like, you only need to be here like maybe two days a week. I was like, because, you know, you guys, it doesn't need to affect what you're doing at Dark Wolf, right? If we're doing something in here and it's hurting your training at the dojo, then we need to look at what right. we're doing here and scale back intensity or maybe volume or maybe we're doing too much conditioning work. Right. Because each system has, it's like having a cutoff switch. Like, you know, if your hot water heater backs up or something. It, the, the switch flips. Right. So it's same thing with your energy systems. If you keep pouring aerobic work on top of aerobic work on top of aerobic work, then your cardiovascular system will eventually crap out on you. Right. Yeah. And it's the same thing with with anything. If you try to push strength too much, your central nervous system will eventually fail you. Right. So it's one of those things where it's difficult because fighters have to juggle all of that. All of it. All of it. It's and then weird not, schedules, too. Yeah. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm still – so e even though we run the gym, mm -hmm. um, I'm still, if for lack of a better term, let, let, let's, you know, let's use, use the terms professional versus amateur. Mm -hmm. Not in a sense of skill level or anything else because there's some damn good amateurs out there. Right. I'm just using those terms. So for those who are listening, I'm using the terms amateur versus professional as a way just to differentiate between those who make a living right. by doing what it is they choose to do. So a professional fighter to me is not necessarily a person who makes a dollar by fighting, mm -hmm. but who that is now their job. That is the, that is their, you know, their main source right. of how they put food on the table. That's how they yeah. get their money. Uh, I still work my day job, mm -hmm. you know, so 10 hours a day, whatever the, whatever right. the numbers are. Then, which is amazing, by the way, that you guys do that. Yeah, and then, still run this. Then, then we coach and teach and try to get our own training in for what an average of another five to six hours, you know, a yeah, day. You guys have got to be busy from um, start to finish. 
Well, and you look at your fighters like Robbie and Naomi and, and the like. So Robbie works a day job. Yeah. Then same thing, Carlos. Carlos mm-hmm. works a day job. So, so the amateur fighter who hasn't had a chance yet to really make it to the point where fighting can sustain their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So they have to work that day job somehow arrange those workouts around that work schedule. Hopefully they have an employer that's, that's willing to work with them. Right. Yeah. Um, especially as fight camps kick in. Right. Um, you know, then the question is, do they work a physical job? Right. You know, that, I know Robbie walks a lot. Right. That could be another, another portion that, you know, that has to, they had to take into account in, mm-hmm. in everything that they're putting together. And I, I think that's one of those things that the, the average person doesn't really realize when they see that person in the UFC. Yeah. I mean, by the time I, many fighters, once they've made it past that debut phase mm-hmm. and they've made it, ch- they've had a chance to fight for the UFC, maybe get a win. They put a little chunk of change in their pocket. Mm-hmm. Now maybe they get the chance to finally feel what it's like to be a professional, yeah. To fight solely for a living, yeah. Where you know you get to work out when you want, train when you want, yep. recover when you want. Yes. Um, yep. You know, and as as an amateur, again, using that amateur, you know, I, I am as professional as they come, but I don't make a living by coaching. I don't make right. a living by training. You know, so even with us, it's one of those things that we've got pans coming up. Um, when, you know, we compete at Master Worlds and things of that nature, mm-hmm. it's one of those hard parts. You know, when, when do you steal your time to, yeah. to get those extra workouts in? Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, that's a hard part because you're usually not in the most beneficial timeframes. <laughs> time right. Yeah. You know, you're, you're stacking, you're compounding one mm-hmm. thing on top of another. So you're not really getting the full benefits of all that work like yeah. you would if you were able to split it up into a morning versus evening you right. know, or something yeah. of that nature. Yeah, I mean, now, what because you're actually training now. That's one of the, I, I have a personal belief, and I'm just going to throw it out there for people mm-hmm. people listening. I don't think a coach has to be a world champion, but I think they have to be an athlete yes. in what it is that they're choosing to coach and to teach. Yes, um, absolutely. Because you made a few epiphanies. Mm-hmm. As you got in and started doing jujitsu right. and MMA, you're like, wow, the muscle load is completely different. It's, different. it's not yeah. what you expected. And so then it's changing your concepts mm-hmm. of how you want to approach it and the like. And there's a lot of people out there that don't do that. Yeah. That it's unfortunate. They 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 did whatever certification that they did. Yeah. But they've never experienced what the athlete is actually going to. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. <laughs> because this is a, a huge pet peeve of mine, actually. Um, I cannot stand someone saying that they're a strength and conditioning coach and they've never done anything athletic right. ever in their entire life. Right. I because the thing is, like, you can you can be so you know I did powerlifting for a while and I've did the marathon and I've done a couple of uh, mud runs and stuff. So mm-hmm. I've competed in a few different things. Um, and you have to know what it feels like to train for something. Right. What it feels like to cut weight for something. Yep. What it feels like to have to juggle. 
yeah. all those things you were talking about yep. between work and family and training and then the well, anxiety of competing and what it feels like to care about the outcome. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> very much to care about the outcome because I mean, well, so, so just giving a, a quick story. So like way, way back when, so I, I've competed since the beginning. I mean, unfortunately speaking, I'm one of those people out there. I earned my black belt in Taekwondo having never competed. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I got my black belt in 89 in Taekwondo, 90, 91, maybe. I think 91. Because I remember I, I graduated from police academy and I was a brown belt and I, I thought I was giving up on Taekwondo and I wanted to finish. So I, I just wanted to get my black belt and yeah. then, then I was prepared to move into uh, other arts. So I got my black belt, had never competed, and I, re I recognized for myself that was wrong. Right. So when I moved on into another art, Okinawan Goju, meeting my instructor, Sensei Eric Shingu, I said to myself, I wanted to compete. And I, I didn't want to just compete. I wanted to compete. I went full contact, did the whole bit. MMA wasn't even on the scene yet, right, realistically. Yeah. So, And unfortunately, I somehow ended up with my black belt before I competed at yeah. Goju. <laughs> yeah. So my first full contact tournament is at black belt level. And you've never competed. Never competed. But the good part was, though, was now I started jiu-jitsu. Yeah. And MMA was on the scene. And I decided as a white belt in jiu-jitsu that this wasn't going to happen again. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I would go to tournaments. I would enter every single division I could. I'd do four divisions in a given tournament. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just cranking out as much experience as I could. I know yeah. that translated into helping me for the full contact stuff mm -hmm. and the like. Um, and that was a big part for me because I, I wanted to, one, I wanted it for myself. I wasn't doing yeah. it because I'm saying later I'm going to, you know, this is experience so I can coach later. I was like, yeah. I wanted this. Right, yeah. So you cared about the outcome. So ultimately speaking, uh, I had two tournaments. I was able to uh, actually cut weight. Mm -hmm. I cut uh, 280 pounds down to 225 wow. in a month and a half. Yeah, that was a lot. Um, so I did, I mean, I did everything from doubling and tripling my workouts, mm -hmm. caloric reductions, yeah, all the way through to dehydration, you know, at the end. Um, one of them almost killed me. That's yeah. no joke. I was going to say, people one, don't realize how yeah, difficult. One, one of them legit probably almost killed me. Yeah. Um, second one, though, was amazing. Second one, now that I've experienced it, Mm -hmm. And that's a big difference between the coaches out there who have never done it. You're going off of concepts and theories. Now I've done it. Right. So the second one was a breeze. Second one was amazing. I did it from about, I did one, my recovery was better. I didn't start at 280. I started from about 265, but still did 265 to 225 in about a month and a half. Mm -hmm. um, same thing, chloric reduction. I held the dehydration until like literally the hours before the weigh-ins and then my rebound. I went from 225, I competed at almost 250 pounds. So I rebounded within the 24 hours, almost 25 pounds. Oh, wow. um, felt fantastic and everything yeah. else. So I was kind of sharing that with some people that were you know, wanting to be aspiring you know, coaches and things yeah. of that nature. So they're like, I'm going to do a weight cut. I was like, okay. For what? Right, for what? Yeah, what's the, yeah. Um, they're <laughs> like, well, just, just so I can do it. Like, well, that's not the same as... Yeah. doing it right I'm like, i mean that's i mean i applaud that you want to do that so so he started doing the weight cut and then there was a holiday coming up 
Uh-huh. Now the fighters were actually preparing for a fight, and uh, their their weight their actual weigh-ins were going to be, um, I think, a little weeks after the holidays or like a week after the holiday. Yeah. And so he uh, he comes up to me and he's like, "Hey," he goes, "I'm on weight, so I'm going to go ahead and weigh in now, so I can say I made my weight cut." And I go, "What?" Yeah, it doesn't work. Like he goes, that. <laughs> "Yeah," he goes, "It's it's not fair to my family that that I, I don't share." whatever it was, Thanksgiving or whatever with them. And I go, you know, the fighters don't have that choice. Right. Exactly. I said, I did it. I sat at the table and ate my little, little teeny tiny little, whatever it was, knowing that making weight was more important to me. I I shared that meal with my family. They ate all they wanted, but I didn't. I made that sacrifice. I said, and it was tough. I mean, it was hard sitting there with family, you know, they're eating, you know, Thanksgiving meal yeah. or whatever. Oh my God. It was so hard. Yeah. But it's interesting that his thought was that if he didn't eat, that it would somehow be disrespectful or that. And, and I was like, would be fair to his family, but I was like, there. I was like, as a fighter, you don't have that choice. Yeah. You don't have that choice. Yeah. There's an opponent. There's You made a commitment and that fight means something to you. Right. And that's another important part, I think, about, you know, trainers and coaches and, and things of that nature is, you know, that's where I really applaud you for, you know, for the work that, you, that you're doing is because you're, you're getting a much deeper understanding of, yeah. of you know, the, the different sporting aspects, things of that nature, yes. Yes. Um, getting a better feel for, for the way it is so yeah. that, you know, again, when you're, when you're talking with like Carlos or some of the other guys, you know, same thing. I, I say it all the time. Anybody can make somebody do a thousand burpees and be like, yeah. wow, that was an amazing workout. No, it's that workout not, sucked. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, there's nothing specific about it other than kill yourself. Other than kill yourself. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of trainers out there that that's all it is. That's all it is. It's, it's yeah. I'm going to kill you for the workout. Yeah. There's, there's not a goal that's really in that workout. Mm-hmm. You know, like same thing when we're, when we're working out through here, there's some of the things that we push for because I, I, personally believe there's not a single aspect of a fight game that cannot be trained. Right. That's, that includes heart. Mm-hmm. That includes the fighting spirit. Yep. You know, that, that when we're in here, you know, that, I mean, some people I know I watch them, they, they roll their eyes, you know, because it seems contrite. It seems, you know, whatever, but man, it's, it's in the midst of that chaos, mm-hmm. you know, when when those little mental tidbits are coming out yeah you know that's when to me they seem to sink in a little bit deeper some people like i said they kind of roll their eyes or like oh man here he goes again (laughs) you know but you know when the shit's hitting the fan yeah um those little things like uh sometimes you need that well who was was it i think it was either ruth ann it was either ruth ann or marion when, when she's like, yeah, when, when, you know, she's like, when you're coaching, I can hear you. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, because I'm talking to you when right. I'm training. So, so you're, you're picking up on my voice when you're training. Yes. I said, but the reality is I don't, I won't always be there. Right. In yeah. a real life self-defense situation, somebody jumps you in a parking lot. Nobody I won't you. be there. Yeah. So, but I still want you to hear me. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. When, when you're in the middle of it and I hate to say it, but I mean, you're, you're getting smashed in the face and the sparks are going off in your eyes and things of that nature. I still want you to hear me Mm -hmm. and then react. 
right here and react. Yep. Yeah, and that, that goes back to what you're saying about every aspect can be trained. Mm -hmm. uh, reaction time and all that stuff. Yep. Um, and we even do breath work um, over at the gym <clears throat> where we actually take their bodies and in small controlled doses, we drop their oxygen saturation level and increase their CO2 saturation level. Mm -hmm. So we're essentially starting the body of oxygen. Right. And the way we do that is I'll have them take a normal breath in and a normal breath out, and then they'll hold the breath for 10 seconds and they'll do a light aerobic activity like battle ropes right. or yeah. something like that. And it seems easy, no, but no, after <laughs> you've done 10 rounds of 10 seconds, right. it's not so easy anymore because constantly the oxygen level is depleting and the CO2 right. is up. Right. But we're doing it in a controlled manner where it's safe to do. And obviously this isn't something that I would do with a normal average person who wanted to come in. The right. Yeah. We're not going to get that specific with something like that. Um, but all we're really doing is teaching the body to be more tolerant to those conditions when they're fighting. Right. So that when that oxygen saturation level drops, they felt it over and over and over right. again in a controlled situation and they're able to, okay, this is what's happening to me. It's okay. Just keep going. Right. So yeah, I, every literally every aspect can be trained. And when I program their stuff out, you know, I have them typically come in and do uh, a warm up that's about seven minutes long. I make sure that each movement is specific to what they're going to do that day. Right. And then I typically have six to seven exercises that each target a specific thing. Like we'll do a max effort lift that might be uh, upper body. Then we'll do a sub-maximal lift that's upper body. And then we might do a little bit of rep work mm -hmm. with the upper body and then grip, we'll train grip. And then we'll come down and maybe do a little core work. And then afterwards we might do conditioning. We might do breath work. We might do uh, lactic acid uh, training where we try to build up the lactic acid right. in their muscles. And that's also another thing where, you know, you're just doing like maybe five rounds of five minutes or you, you do five one minute rounds of five different exercises like slam ball battle ropes that kind of thing and just really bring up that lactic acid right. and make them tolerant to that so when you've got someone who's your opponent who's tolerant to drops in oxygen they're tolerant to right. lactic acid and all those other things and then they've also been really working on their technique then you've got to a problem on your hands. Right. Well, yeah. and, and the, the part that, that we say all the time in the fight game, the fight is not the time to experience these things. Right. The, the goal in training mm -hmm. is, I mean, and this is where, you know, people use the uh, embrace the grind. I mean, it's, it's, it's cliche. I mean, it is. Yeah. But, it's, but that's the name of the game. Yeah. Training is supposed to be harder, mm -hmm. more grueling, or taxing, not necessarily beating you up, right? But it's supposed to be to the point so that once you step into whatever whatever you're doing, mm -hmm. let's say you're running a marathon, the goal is to put you into a position where you have already felt yep. the kinds of things you're going to have to overcome mm -hmm. in in that athletic endeavor, whatever right. it is, or even even that mental endeavor. Yep. Um, you know, if you're having to do something mentally strenuous. You know, of putting you into a position where you've already overcome these little things. Yeah. Some of these little things become major things. Oh, absolutely. Um, you look at, uh, 
uh, what was the fight when uh, Carwin fought Brock Lesnar? I mean, first round, man, it looked like he had him, mm-hmm. but then his body seized yep. at the end of the first round. So when he came out, he was completely flat at the beginning of the second round. He had a massive adrenaline dump because he thought that he was he was about to win yeah. one of the biggest fights of his entire life. And then it just yeah. And then that was it. There was no recovery after that. And yep. I mean. Yeah, and another reason, too, that we do the breath work is when I'm doing the breath work with them, you know, we talk about making sure they breathe through the nose. And one of the big reasons why we do that is because when you breathe oxygen through your nose, when it passes through your sinuses, your sinuses make nitric oxide. Right. Nitric oxide, and when it goes down, it makes the lungs able to absorb oxygen better right. and opens yeah. up blood vessels. When you breathe through your mouth, you bypass that. Right. Yeah, I was, I was actually just... Uh, uh, was just doing some, uh, what was it? It was like a TED talk or something like that, yeah. like a couple weeks ago, where I was uh, looking at that. Yeah. You know, because the breath work is, is one of those things I think a lot of people overlook the breath work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, breathing, you know, we, we joke about it in jiu jitsu. You know, you, you hear people coaching, breathe. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how? Right. Yeah, it's like, how? how? Right, exactly. I'm just breathe. It's like, just stand up. <laughs> yeah. Wow, if it was that easy. Right. <laughs> oh, he's kind of crushing me. Right. Right, now, so. <laughs> right. So it's just one of those things people throw out there all the time. Yeah. But they don't really tell people how. Right. Yeah. You know, what does that mean? You yeah. Know, when you're telling people just to breathe. Mm-hmm. I mean. And that's like, because uh, you, you'll you'll see it. Like I'll have them maybe do three two minute rounds or three three minute rounds of shadow boxing where they're mm-hmm. only allowed to breathe through their nose. Right. And I'll sit and listen. Because I can hear it as soon as they start breathing through their mouth. I can hear it. Oh, yeah. Nose breathe, nose breathe. But they, as they shadow box and they start getting tired, they start to want to breathe through the nose. So right. we're doing it in a controlled setting where I can go, no, stop, breathe through your nose. Right. And they can kind of stop doing that mouth breathing. Well, then for fighting, that, that, that then has secondary issues. Mm-hmm. Now your jaw's open. Right. So now when you're getting hit, yeah, things of that nature. That strike is actually causing more damage because mm-hmm. of mouth breathing. My my TMJ is completely jacked. Yeah, um, because of that. The first the first time it starts to happen, um, I got kicked in the face, and uh, my jaw. I mean, unfortunately, this is my part for the people listening out there. Go see doctors. <laughs> um, when you get messed up, go see a doctor. Yeah, you know, a little bit. It, it, somebody. Yeah, you, you see, you know, at the time period and everything else, I mean, my my jaw was probably about half of a tooth offset. So wow. by the time my mouth is coming down, I can physically feel my yeah. molars are about at least half a tooth offset. Yeah. And so, you know, but I never saw doctors or anything of that nature. And eventually, wow. I got to go back, you know, mm-hmm. into play. But I think the uh, the damage over time, so now... You know, that and then coupled with uh, I've had my nose broken and not fixed probably about four times in my life, maybe five times in my life where the, wow. the, the septum is completely offset. Yeah. I, can't, I can't breathe out my, uh, my right nostril. So, so ultimately speaking, I end up mouth breathing. Right. You know, I end up mouth breathing. Yeah. I can't, can't breathe in when we're relaxed and we're first starting. Yeah, it's no problem. Right. In, in and out of the nose, whatever. Mm-hmm. Deeper in the rounds, no. As that starts getting inflamed and closes up, yeah. But then once I get punched in the face with my mouth open, mm-hmm. then my TMJ flares up again. Yeah. The muscles begin to lock and tense. Mm-hmm. 
uh, you know, things of that nature. So those those who are listening, uh, definitely, yeah. if, if, if I mean, see a doctor. So, <laughs> well, there there's some parts I got to throw out there. There's some parts you got to know the difference between discomfort and injury. Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's way too many people of you out there that use discomfort as your excuse and you claim it to be injury and you take time off. That's Stop true. that shit. Yeah. Know the difference. I was injured. I should have taken time off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you're injured, definitely take time off. But if it's I mean, you're and right. then work around whatever that injury is. I mean, I could have done yeah. a lot of stuff without without having my jaw messed up, you know, well, things of that nature. That's like Naomi came by today. And you know, she had hyperextended her arm. Right. So we worked around it. We figured out how we could still get her workout in without affecting that arm. Right. So she still showed up and put in the work. Yeah. Even with the injury, we just worked around it. So it's one of those things where just because you have an injury doesn't mean you can't train. There's always work to do. Always a way to get around. Always work to do. And and that doesn't mean train through an injury. And then, yeah, don't, train don't around force it. the limb. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't force the limb or whatever the injury is. You know. So you definitely want to make that distinction. But, but there but there's also um I'm trying to remember again, uh, some of the stuff I was looking at that was talking about rehab and things of that nature, that being sedimentary because maybe you got a shoulder injury or something of that worse. nature, it's worse, right? Yeah. That even by working out other body parts, it's still beneficial mm -hmm. to the to whatever it is that's injured. It's blood flow. And I mean, yeah, you, you and you want to move that joint too in ways that you can, obviously. Right. You got a hurt shoulder. We're not going to say, okay, go overhead press 200 pounds. Right? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we might do some band work. Right. Where there's some light resistance. And we might do those kinds of things to work around the joint and get it to move, get it to open up a little right. bit, tissue to stretch and let the blood flow come in and the oxygen get in there. Right. Because that's what's going to bring the nutrients to right. the injured area to heal it. The inflammation, of course, plays a part too, but we also want to get the blood flow in right. as well. So it's really important to um, make sure that when we have an injury that's, I mean, obviously if like your hip gets crushed in a car, that's a <laughs> right. thing. Right. But if we tear our shoulder or something, you know, let's, we can find ways to still work it a little bit. Right. Without. Or I mean, or you're, you're lifting and, and you feel a little twinge. Yeah. You know. That's your body telling you maybe it's time to back off a little bit, but yeah. not stop. Right. It's there's too many people out there that you know. I, I mean, we've even seen it here through some of the fighter group. Mm -hmm. You know, where it's like it's like, oh man, I've been working really hard this week. I, I'm what's the term? I'm listening to my body. Yeah. I'm like every crack <laughs> addict who listened to their body is still doing crack. I mean, <laughs> right, right. Um, every every person you know, who's got a few extra pounds on them, yeah. li listen to their body when it said I wanted carbs yeah. and I wanted, you know, these other things. I mean, there's, there's a lot to this game. I mean, your, <coughs> your body certainly will tell you a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Well, that became a big thing, uh, not just like in, in MMA and all that, but in the weightlifting world a couple of years ago. Yeah. It just blew up. Everyone's overtraining. Everyone is overtraining. Yeah. And it's like, well, the reality is actually probably somewhere more in the middle. Right. There probably are some people who are overtraining, like athletes. Some athletes yes. do overtrain because yeah. they might be doing two, three sessions a day. Right. They might overtrain. 
if you're hitting the gym for 45 minutes a day, yeah, no, you're four not. Five days a week, <laughs> you're not overtraining. It's it's probably not happening. Right. You might think you are, and the internet's telling you are. Right. <laughs> well, and, that, and, that, and that's where I think most of that stuff actually came from. <laughs> yeah. It, it's internet, unfortunately yeah. There, there's a lot of people that just want it out. Yeah. They and just, that's what a lot of people used it. They just want it out. It's well, well. This this particular study says, you know, and then then they started selling those uh, uh, electronic stuff where you can get them from like Amazon and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Where it's like you wake up in the morning and it takes some reading off of you or whatever, yeah. and it's like it's like oh your system's worn down. You better you better take today easy. Yeah, yeah. I'm like no, I got shit to do. Yep. <laughs> you know, I mean a hundred a well, hundred years ago. 200 years ago when, 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 when getting up and getting active meant the difference between life and death, you didn't wake up and go, man, you know what? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm just going to pull the saber tooth skin blanket back over me and go back to sleep. I mean, well, it's, that, was, that was more than 200 years ago, but <laughs> you, you got up, yeah, but you got up and you got after it Yeah, because you had no exactly. choice. Right. And, that, and that's where we, we, we talk about this a little bit, how it's kind of funny, like for the most part, when you go to virtually any gym and you do any lift, mm -hmm. all it is, is physical labor. Yeah. It's reenacting yeah, yeah. physical labor that we don't do anymore. Yeah, you're picking up things, putting them down. <laughs> or that I mean, we avoid anymore. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, when people ask me this, you know, I'm like... Pretty much, I mean, at the base of it, we were just picking things up. And putting them we, we used to joke. It's like, like you know, it's like, man, I got, I got a great workout in. I got my sledgehammer and I beat on the tire for an hour. It's like, yeah. oh, okay, dude, I got a ditch if you want to dig it. No, <laughs> man, I don't want to do that. You just did. Right. <laughs> you just you did. did. For an hour, yep. you just dug a ditch. You just didn't have the ditch at the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And going back to the overtraining thing too, though, is like um, the last gym that I worked at over in Ocala, um, there was a, I had a client who was, he was a bigger guy and he wanted to lose weight and increase his bench. Those were his two goals. Okay. And I was like, okay, we can do that. And one of the trainers there asked me, he said, he said, what are you doing with him? And I explained to him how I was working with him and all that. And he was like, how's he going to lose weight and increase his bench? Isn't that going to overtrain you? I said, not if you do it right. Right. He's like, that doesn't make sense to me. And like we we had this long argument about it, about you know how he can lose weight and increase his bench because it's not necessarily that we're building muscle to increase his bench. We're causing neurological adaptations right. to increase his bench. So what we're doing is we're making the nervous system more efficient. Right at moving heavier weight. Well, he's getting, getting his true capacity. Right. He's not there already. Right. And that's the part that I was trying to explain to him is that it's not like if, if you're at 50% of your max potential, then you've got another 50% to go. Right. So even if you're losing weight, you can still, there's, there's room to grow. Right. So it's, it's one of those things where I think people just, they don't think that you can accomplish more than one goal at once right. in the, in the weight training world. Well, and, and, but like you said though, it's, it's one of those things. So, so he, his body, he may not have consciously did it, but his body is telling him, mm -hmm. this is your max based on what we've got. You're right. just, you're just not using it. Well, you haven't used it. You can, yeah. 
I mean, you can have the greatest motor and transmission and everything else. If you don't know how to drive it. Or, or there's a kink in your throttling. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, so now you just you physically, there's something barring you yeah. from telling the motor to give me max effort. Yeah. There's, there's something blocking you in the way mm -hmm. that, you know. Yeah, well, the CNS, is, it's electricity. Yeah. It's electrical yeah. signals. And they, they go from your brain to your muscle. And there's all kinds of little things that happen in between right. that can screw things up. Well, and just like in, in jiu-jitsu, I mean, we, we talked about it in the beginning. So most people, when they get caught in, say, like a choke, mm -hmm. we tell them right off the bat, I guarantee you, you're not tapping to the choke. Yeah. You're, get, you're tapping to a preconceived notion in your mind that this is the, the first discomfort that you're feeling, mm -hmm. that that's the choke. Yeah. And then as you experience it, you're going, yeah. wait a minute, no, there was, I felt was pressure more. on my neck, Yeah. but all that was just discomfort. I actually right. never got choked in the process. Mm -hmm. So then once they start to identify that, now suddenly they're lasting longer. Right. And then eventually they're getting to the point where they actually know where the choke is really setting in. But yeah. the whole time, all they were ever doing was misprocessing the, the, yeah. the, the discomfort. Right. And it's, it's interesting to me that, that in the personal training world, like people don't, the trainers don't get that. So that brings me back to what I was going to say earlier about not doing and then coaching. And right, right, yeah. <laughs> so what I was going to say is the certifications for personal training are honestly kind of a joke. And that's coming from someone who has um, an NASM certification. Honestly, I could literally open a book, read a bunch of pages, right. go take the test, score 70 on it, and get my personal training certification. And I might know jack crap right. about training someone. So just because your trainer says that he has a personal training certification does not mean that he has he or she has experience <coughs> in actually training people. Right. So if you go to a guy and or a girl and they're saying things that don't necessarily make sense but they're certified, fact check them. Right? <laughs> you know, figure out if they really know what they're talking about because. You know, I went and before I got certified, I went and got my bachelor's degree in exercise science while I was in the military. And that gave me a base fundamental understanding of, you know, like I was talking about earlier, energy systems, right. anatomy, and all, you know, all those things like that. But when I graduated, I didn't really know how to apply it. Gotcha. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I knew the concepts and I kind of played with it on myself a little bit while I was in the military, but I didn't really know how to like apply it to another person. Right. Watch right. how they move, watch their body cues when they're doing conditioning work to see, you know, now I can, there's a lot of times now where I've been doing it so long that I can watch a person lift a weight and know exactly how many reps they're going to do. Right. Before they gas out and how much weight they could probably do before they gas out. Right. And it's literally just from watching different people over and over and over again. Right. So it's one of those things where I see on the internet all the time, I'm NASM certified, I'm NASM certified. And that's great and all, you've taken that first step, but don't 
you put yourself out there like you know everything now. Right. Because you don't. Because the more I learn, the more I realize that I didn't know as much as I thought I did. <laughs> <laughs> and even now, you know, um, as much of an understanding as I have of the body and the systems and everything, when I came here, it, it shook up my whole world. Right. And I was like, whoa. Like, some of these concepts that I was told don't work actually work for this. Right. So it's one of those things where, you know, like in football and stuff, like you have an off season. Right, yeah. In bodybuilding, you have an off season typically. In powerlifting, a lot of times guys will take an off season where they'll just do, you know, general preparedness work. Right. You know, they might do high reps of front squats or Yeah, just throwing it out there for people. Um, Bodybuilders do not look like bodybuilders 365. Right, yes. They do not. If you see them in the off season, yeah. You'd be like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's extreme dieting. So that, that that used to be one of my favorite things, uh, reading the magazines, you mm-hmm. know, growing up as a kid and everything else. And I, I knew enough, and you'd see this picture of this big bloated dude, <laughs> and then the picture right next, it's like eight weeks later, he's ripped and shredded and everything else. And I'm like, I'm like you can do it too. He, he, he is. I mean, they're showing you a picture of a bodybuilder off season. Right. And then showing him just before a competition. Right. Yeah. And he's done some drastic things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's you know. a huge difference. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's interesting because a fighter doesn't really have an off season. Right. Yeah. You know, especially at an amateur level, where you kind of take what you can get a lot of time. But and, I mean, Andy, not, not Andy, literally what you can get. Well, and, and like we saying. said, though, but that's the that's the part that we were talking about between like the amateur and that pro. Right. That the amateur, you know, really has to be available mm-hmm. all, all the time, time. all the time, ready to go because the opportunity may only come up like right now, like right. you know, like with Christian. I mean. There is that chance mm-hmm. that the UFC may say, hey, I need somebody. Yeah. So the question is, are you ready with a couple weeks' notice? Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what mm-hmm. I tell Robbie and Carlos and them when they come and Naomi is that this work is just meant to keep you ready. Right. Ready to go. Whenever you, you get that chance to fight, you're already in shape. Right. When you go in the fight camp. So now we don't you you don't have to spend time getting them in shape and fighting. Right. Because then they're come in and they're ready to go. Yeah, because then they're not working on the things that they should be working on. Right. Fine-tuning technique. Right, exactly. Game planning. All all that that. stuff. They have too much to deal with during those last few weeks of fight camp that they don't need to be worried about. Well, and if you're still working on increase my power and in fight camp, if you're still working on your endurance and if you're still working on you know, not your weight cut, mm. but actual weight reduction. Um, you know, if somebody let themselves balloon up beyond where they should have been, right. and now you're actually having to work on just even getting their weight down so they can be within striking distance, you're focusing on all the wrong things. Right. I mean, all the wrong yeah. things. And that's and that's the same thing. It's like, I mean, you hear it in football, you know, all the time. The guys come into uh, spring training, whatever. And they're like, oh, so-and-so ballooned up to. Yeah. Well, so now they got to spend all their time yeah. just even getting it ready to play. Yeah. Which means they can't spend their time working on the other stuff. Yeah, and that's the big thing, too, is um, strength 
is probably the one thing that you probably shouldn't be focused on in fight camp. Strength should be built between right those yes. fight camps. During fight camp, we're going to work on things like reaction time, right. breathing, conditioning. Those are things that can be improved in a short amount of time. Right. Strength, uh, people don't realize that the strength takes a long time oh, to yeah. get. It oh, is yeah. not something that happens overnight. It's so, very yeah. meticulous. So, so I, when I was in the police academy in 1990 in California, um, we were we went to take our test. Now, granted, at the time period, for those listening right now, I I weigh about I'm six foot and I weigh about 280. I'm probably one of the most athletic 280s that that you can come <laughs> across. Um, I can attest to that. But <laughs> but at the time period, though, I was roughly six foot. And I went into the academy weighing about 165, 170. Yeah, I remember that. Um, yeah. So, so I'm in the academy, and they put forth all the criteria mm. of how, how everything was going to be judged. Right. So max bench. So max bench was going to be uh, lifting your own body weight, and okay. then one point <laughs> for every 10 pounds over your own body weight. So you, so you had to add 10 pounds to get one point. Now, once you hit a max bench, adding 10, 20, 30 pounds within yeah. a couple months time period is, is, you know, it's pretty good. Then I look at sit-ups and it's one point for every sit-up after, so uh, 60 sit-ups in one minute and then it was one to one. Mm -hmm. So for if you could do 61 sit-ups in a minute, you got one more point. If you can yeah. do 70, that's 10 more points. I looked at that. So every day when we came in, yeah. everybody, man, all the dudes, they're in there. Oh, they're just, they're sling, yeah, they're slinging the bench and everything else. Yeah. I'm in there doing sit-ups and burpees and, and things of that nature. So ultimately speaking, the, uh, the fitness test at the end, you needed – 60 points to get an A. Okay. I finished with 137. So that was my final score. Yeah. I did 93 sit-ups in a minute. That was my <laughs> so so right off the bat, we got 10 points for getting yeah. 60, and then one for one after that. So I passed the test just with sit-ups. Yeah. I mean, I I I was I was already on one exercise. I already passed the test, and then every Smart. and then everything else. And people were, yeah. unfortunately, I missed out by one point mm -hmm. to be to be the fittest guy in my academy class, yeah. and only because he talked to me about two weeks into the fitness thing and asked me why I was doing different stuff than everybody else. Mm -hmm. And I shared with him. Oh, secrets! <laughs> I shared with him my secrets. That, Please share your secrets, Dave. That guy, <laughs> and, he, and he was a faster runner than I was. Oh, <laughs> so so in in the mile and a half, um, he was able to get like two points more than me. But it shows like how receptive he was to like, okay, and, you know, you're doing things differently. Maybe. I should but like I said, while while everybody else, because I I already lifted, I I I already knew how difficult it is yeah to really like like in that exercise so so 60 sit-ups was 10 points i did 93 so that's another 33 points right onto that initial test i got 43 points on one exercise and 60 was an a 
Right. That was on the high end. It was already pretty much there. So I had already passed it on its minimum standards. Actually, I was already like well into the middle of yeah. of the on, on just one exercise. And I was looking at it going, how much easier is it to squeeze out one more sit-up? Yeah. Compared to like I would have had to have done another 330 pounds onto my bench press <laughs> to, <laughs> to get the same amount of points. It's impossible. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> yep. Well, you see that too with like uh, powerlifters that are at a really high level. They might do a 12 week cycle for three months and sometimes longer just to add five pounds yeah. to the lift. Yeah. Just to add five pounds. Right. Now that's at the high, like we call them uh, beginner gains. Like your first like year of lifting. Oh yeah, you're gonna get you're gonna get fast. big gains. Yeah, and it's usually just you're you're learning to coordinate. Your nervous system is getting right. better. And like, like I said, that. you're learning to get the most out of the muscle you already have. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're taking away those roadblocks you've already put in your way. Yeah. Learning better technique, everything else. That's where I tell people. So like, you go out, you run a mile. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I I sucked. Okay. So I'm I'm 280 pounds. And we're getting ready for Master Worlds, and I go out and I run a mile for lunch. I don't run. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a runner. How many 280-pound dudes do you, do you know of that are out there running to get ready for competition? Yeah. <laughs> so I think our first time that we put up, and I think it was like at 16 minutes or something like that. Mm -hmm. Second time, two minutes off the time. I did not get two minutes faster. Yeah. I did not get two minutes more of endurance. What I got was a comfort level yeah. with the exercise I was getting ready to do. Right. Yeah. And then by the time we were, uh, by the time we went to Master Worlds that particular year, um, I was doing mid sevens. Mm -hmm. By the time we went to competition, I was doing two two miles in uh, like roughly fifteen and change. Yeah. Um, and what happens to a lot of people too is they when they first start, they hit those beginner games and they're riding that wave yes. of positivity and they feel good. And <laughs> yeah. they hit that brick wall and they're like, "Yeah, I don't know what to do now. And the reality is in a lot of cases is that they've reached a certain point where they're comfortable again. Right. They're doing more, but they're comfortable with doing it. Yes. So now it's time to be uncomfortable again. Right. And people don't like that. They're like, oh, I thought it was a one-time thing. <laughs> yeah. Once I got better, the uncomfortable no. way. I'm like, no, you, it never now ends. if you want to get better, you've got to put yourself back in that position again. It never ends. Train like you're not number one. Right. You know, and really get after it. But people don't like discomfort. So. No. Well, and that's the part is it never ends. It truly never ends. If yeah. you want to continue forward, the discomfort side of it never ends. Yep. The bar just raises. Exactly. The bar just moves to a new thing. I'm yep. capable of more. So now, unfortunately, in order to increase, I have to actually do more. Yeah. You know, I have to, actually, I have to do even more than I did last time right. to even yeah. get the same amount of gains. Yep. And, and eventually, it becomes, like you said, when you hit the high end, man, that's a lot of work to mm -hmm. get five more pounds. Yeah. You know, and then you've got people on the other side of the spectrum where you have to be like, pump the brakes. Yes. You're yeah. Going way too hard, way too fast. <laughs> so you'll have those people who will do the right thing. They'll hit those beginner games and they'll hit that wall and they'll stop. Yes. And then you have other people who will come in and it's balls to the wall from day one. Yep. 
and they, they'll burn themselves out in two months. Yep. And then they quit because they go, well, it wasn't working for me and it made me feel worse. And it's like, we're, you were doing it wrong. Right. Or they'll quit, maybe, maybe due to injury, maybe. Yeah. Injury. And then <laughs> while everybody else is putting in the work and pushing All forward, right. then they show up and want to dive right back into exactly the same issue they fell into. Yeah. Everybody's been pushing and they're suddenly coming in. Now they're the cheerleaders. Come on guys, yeah, let's yeah. go. <laughs> or like, Dude, you haven't been here for like yeah. a month and we've been working our ass off <laughs> while you've been gone. I mean, <laughs> there's always those ones that, uh, they want to reap the reward, but they don't really want to put the work yeah. in. <laughs> They're like, oh yeah, go us. <laughs> like, well, so, yeah, been here. so when when you're working with people, um, now I like for myself. I mean, it's it's one of those things. Everybody's motivated differently. Yeah. Like I've always been a very self-driven individual, and we were just talking about this the other day. My instructor, Sensei Eric, an incredible guy, huge mentor in my life. I've been with him now, I think twenty-eight years. Mm -hmm. um, but realistically speaking, when I look at all the competitions I've ever done, I didn't have a coach. Yeah. I mean, what I had was like Melissa <laughs> yeah. or I had Christian or I had others. Now he, yeah. he definitely was a huge impact on me, right. but most of my, most of my real workouts, most <laughs> of, most of my work has typically been away from everybody else's eyes where I'm getting my work in and things of that nature. So I, I typically have been fairly, I mean, very self-driven in that regard, yeah. but I'm also very goal oriented and I recognize that very early. Mm -hmm. So what I'll do is usually for myself as that motivation is pick that goal, sign up for that tournament, throw it out there <laughs> yeah, and then start marching, mm -hmm. start moving towards that thing. Now other people maybe don't necessarily have, I mean, I recognize what I need. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't, it's great having other people. Absolutely, man. The workouts are virtually almost always better with somebody else to yeah. motivate you and push you and things oh, yeah. of that nature. Um, but like I said, mo most of my stuff over the last like 20 some odd years has been more, you know, me really pushing to try to get whatever I can. Other people need that, need that secondary partner, need that mm -hmm. carrot. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. What, what kind of stuff have you typically looked at from that motivational standpoint? Because I mean, again, as a trainer, I mean, you can show them all the things to do, mm -hmm. but the one part that's the hardest part of all of it is to keep them engaged when they don't want to, when yes. their body's telling them, like, like the person who's really trying to lose weight, a person who's like, you know, like, you know, when, when we're really pushing man, the body is telling man, I really want to eat something. You yeah. know, and you're saying, no, just hold off. Mm -hmm. Just give me a couple more hours, then we'll have a snack. Yeah. You know, the hold off for right now. You know, but you got to, like I said, there's, everybody does it. I mean, we all have those, those time periods where, you know, we don't want to do it. It's just not there. Right. But you find that motivation. You find that little carrot. You find that thing. Um, you know, for some people it's yelling. It's drone structure. Yeah. It's in their face. Yeah. It's, you know, and that's actually not my training style. Right. Other people yeah. collapse. Yeah. If you go at them with drill instructor style, mm -hmm. they collapse. Yeah. Um, then you get others, though, that they shift. 
just it starts off. Right, yeah. It's all like, it's all positivity and everything else. And then they just hit that wall where they're like, no, I'm done. Yeah. And no, you're not. Right. No, you're not. I'm about to become drill instructor. <laughs> right. And that's, that's where the coaching aspect comes into it right. is that you have to know how to kind of ebb and flow right. with the emotions of people because it's not like a, you know, a, a job where you're doing paperwork or whatever, like people right. are messy. Yeah, people yeah. are extremely messy. They're emotional. They, they have aches and pains and then they have relationships and I, people are right. extremely messy and it's very difficult. You know, I've had, I've been doing it for about seven years now. Um, and I started just training like regular everyday people, right. you know, um, and I've literally had clients that would come in and happen to the workout would start crying. Yeah. They would literally start crying in the middle of the gym. And it's a very, when you're, when you first start out doing it, it's very awkward. Yes. And you're like, yeah. cause when it first happened to me, I was like, I don't know what to do here. Right. Cause I had not experienced that yet. But over time, um, I took some coaching psychology classes and stuff, and I've really gotten to a point where I know, like, when a person starts crying, like, you just have to, you have to take a step back from what you're doing right then and find a way to comfort them in a way that encourages them to continue. Right. Not like, oh, it's okay, just quit. Right, no, right? Yeah. No, you can't do that. <laughs> but you also can't come at them hard now either because right. they've already broken. Right. They're already broken. So now you have to find a way to be empathetic towards what they're feeling. Right. And try to bring them back out of it. Yeah. So and typically, you know, in a session might be 30 minutes at a gym uh, when somebody pays for a personal training session. So... You have to try to get them out of it as quickly as they can because right. you only got a certain amount of time to get the work done. Right. And you know that getting the work done is eventually going to stop these emotional right. breakdowns. Well, even like I find, and for lack of a better term, I'm not calling people children, but there's the kids that you know that the emotional is real. Mm -hmm. And then you start to see the patterns emerge. Yes. And then you start to see that's their defensive mechanism that they put out there. And in right. some instances, it's actually fake. Mm -hmm. It's not even real. Yeah. It's they're, they're hitting their own imaginary boundary mm -hmm. and, and, and they got sympathy the first time. Maybe they got sympathy the second time, yeah. the third time. And then you start to see them dipping into that well. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> all right. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've had that happen a couple of yeah. times. Yeah. Cause we've had, we've had some people that legit, man, when they, when they break, and you're watching them. And that's part of like, even on the fire training, we have to be very careful. Mm -hmm. Most people don't see, but like when we're doing like some of our shark tanks or monkey in the middle or whatever, whatever the terms that people use, where we're looking at a person's fatigue levels as they're starting to go in and how beat up they're getting and how close they are to their fight. Right. But what most people don't see is me then usually walking the perimeter and whispering in people's ears, you know, to say, Hey, your round is up next. So when you go out there, I want you to do X, Y, Z to deliberately let them come at you a little harder. Don't push them. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know you're fresh right now. You can easily kick their ass, whatever. Yeah. But step in. Don't tell them you're doing it. Right. You know, but kind of come in, slow your pace down a little bit and let them have some few, a few successes. Yeah, absolutely. Let them have those few successes. 
because they're getting that to that point where now the, the everything's starting to crash. Getting to the point where they throw their guns on the floor and walk off the floor and yeah, well, or the frustration, <laughs> yeah, and and you're about to destroy their confidence, yeah. right? And you, you don't want to, you don't want to take. It and again, them. I mean, they've been in the middle of this thing. They're not right. supposed to win, right? The, They're not the supposed to. Kind of to lose <laughs> is to way. push them beyond that beyond comfort zone. To push right. them beyond what they could, but you gotta you gotta straddle that line yeah. and make sure that they don't ever cross it. Right to the point where that emotional break becomes the detriment, right, and shuts them down. And now all they're focusing on is the mental aspect of it, yeah. and they throw away all the rest of it. And it's um, much harder after that to to try to build them back up and pull them back right. out of that, especially now that they're so close. And those are the time periods in the fight camps that that the the, the coaches and the training partners get beat up the most. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's the moment where you got to be a good training partner and just yeah. just take it. <laughs> yeah, and that's the part that I think a lot of people. One of my it's it's a uh, one of those guilty pleasures. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Uh, it only lasted for a brief, brief time period. If you get a chance, check it out. It was a TV show called Fit Fat Fit. It sounds familiar. But and the premise of the show was taking these early 20s, you know, trainers, and, and I'll, I'll throw that in air quotes. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I had abs in my early and mid 20s. I didn't even have to earn them. They just were there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so. <laughs> that's, that's pretty rampant in the person playing world. Right. I look good, therefore I know. Exactly. And so there's these people, like I said, when, when I was in my early mid 20s, I didn't have to work mm. for any of the results I got. Exactly. They just simply existed. Right. I, I could eat what I wanted mm -hmm. and my body just gave me everything I ever asked of it. Yeah. As do most, you know, yeah. early twenties. And so what it did is it took these, took these people, traders, and took some actual heavy set people, like mm -hmm. some people that, that, that their, their obesity is actually a detriment to their life at right. that point. Yeah, yeah. And then what they did though, is they took the trainer and they said, here's what's going to happen. So trainer for six months of your life, you're going to get fat. And don't train. Mm. You're going to put on 20, 30 pounds, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And you're going to lose your weight with them. With them. with them. And what was actually interesting is that in the show, the vast majority of trainers were the ones with the epiphanies, mm -hmm. with with the aha moments. Because they'd never been through it before. Right. They'd always never. been fit. Right. They'd never had to go from so. Out and of one, one of them was seriously fit. right there, right. going yeah. going. I never knew because the whole time I'm thinking they're lazy. They're I'm not. thinking they're they're this, they're that, and he goes, and I'm pushing them. Mm -hmm. He goes, and I never truly knew what it felt like. Mm -hmm. Yes. So then it changed their, their, I mean, for some of them, it, I mean, the vast majority of them, I mean, of the, of, of the episodes I got the chance to see, maybe about a dozen of them. You're always going to have this. You're always going to have <laughs> Yeah. But the vast majority were like, man, this completely changed my life as a trainer. Mm -hmm. One, I never want to get fat. <laughs> you know, but then two, how they would train and motivate those people. And it kind of, yeah. kind of takes us back to what we were talking about, about trainers really 
knowing what it is they're asking people to do. So, I mean, if yeah. you're, if you're going to train an elite athlete, mm-hmm. you don't have to be an elite athlete, Definitely. but you got to know what it feels like yeah. to, yeah. to, to push beyond that limit, to have somebody push you beyond that limit. And if, and if you're going to take a person who is extremely heavy set and push them through that workout, mm-hmm. man, you got to know what it's like. Yeah. Um, I mean, you got to know what it's like. Cause I mean, I remember, like I said, when I was in my early twenties, I don't ever remember getting sore. Yeah. I mean, I, even, even like in high school doing hell week for football, things of that nature, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, double days or even triple days or whatever. Soreness was maybe first thing in the morning mm-hmm. and then gone. I mean, absolutely yeah. gone. You know, now, <laughs> holy crap. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting into my thirties now, so I'm starting to I'm starting to get little sprinkles of it, you know, here and there. I I always said because I, one hundred percent natural. I've never done. I mean, I, I don't even do prescription drugs. Yeah. I mean, if they give me painkillers, I typically won't take them. Mm-hmm. Uh, things of that nature. I've had bones reset without anesthetic. Uh, things of that I mean, nature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> give me the so, anesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> so, but. So we finished up competition in Las Vegas. Uh, this was at UFC 100, so it dates how long ago that was. Oh, yeah. And we competed at UFC 100. That was just before us moving to uh, Florida. That was our last major competition. Yeah. Uh, I, I tore my knee, did something to it again, didn't see a doctor, so I can't tell you what I actually did to my knee. I just know it was pretty jacked up. Yeah. Um, but I was about 38, mm. maybe 39 that point and i man i used to say all the time this whole thing about things happening when you turn 40 i'm like it's all bullshit yeah it's all bullshit yeah yeah until yeah. so we turn 40 because i'm like i was like yeah. <laughs> yeah i was 38 yeah i was 38 i felt fantastic man yeah. literally no exaggeration so when we would do the shark tanks in the floor and everything else yeah. i could make everybody else quit yeah i'd still be going who's next right and they're quitting I mean, my, my, for at the time period, I was, I was competing at about 240, 245. Mm-hmm. My endurance was, was really high, everything else. And usually I could burn through, you know, we didn't have a huge amount of students, but at that time yeah. I could, you know, maybe, maybe about like our four best rotating in and out. I could, I could basically get them to the point where they would quit. I was like, man, that turning 40 thing is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's not. I hear most guys say it between about 40 and 45 years. Yes. Yep. Yep. And what Absolutely. I, what I really think that is is after the age of 30, uh, each year your testosterone drops by like a percent. Yeah. It's not much, but after 10 years from 30 to 40, now you've lost 10% of that. So then it starts <coughs> having an effect where it's, yeah. you're, you've lost enough that it's really starting to right. To show up. Yeah, because I'm, I'm 49 this year. This will be my, uh, so we're doing pans in uh, October. So this will probably be my last competition in this age bracket. Yeah. Because then I'll turn 50 and then my official age Master bracket. Master five. five. <laughs> no, <boy>. <laughs> but you know, 50 is not that old anymore. No, it's no. not. It's, it's no, actually it's young, really. Yeah. In, in a way, you know, it's. But but it is it is in that age bracket though where it's diminishing returns. Like like I said, the the recovery in between workouts um, is definitely a lot harder. Um, You have to be cleaner. You have to. 
because like I said, when I was in my early twenties, didn't matter, man. Yeah. I, I, I could have McDonald's for every meal <laughs> and I'd still get exactly what I wanted yeah. out of my body. As long as you trained, you were good. As long as I trained, I was good. Didn't matter. I could eat whatever quantity of food I wanted <laughs> and it was good. Now <laughs> we have one bad weekend and it's like, <laughs> we get on the scale and we're like, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, one, two, so, so, so we're, we're like at the point right now where, where you hear people all the time, this is my cheat meal, fuck that. We can't do a cheat meal. Because yeah. that one cheat meal yeah. can throw an entire week's worth of work off. Yeah. yeah. I mean, completely. Yeah. The more you get, the, yeah, the more that happens too. But it is interesting because like, well, you know, our kids have still been in school and stuff like, or at least one has been still been in school and we'll go to like functions and stuff and we're looking around and we're like all these people are our age and they look way older mm-hmm. like old yeah. and banged up and like walking with canes and shit and i'm like yeah, yeah. Jesus, but then, but then again are... though like i never smoked no. never i mean although i grew up in a household where my, my parents smoked so i claim i smoked until i was about 16. <laughs> um you know and then, second hand smoke. right from second hand smoke yeah um but uh, didn't smoke. Last time I was, I wouldn't even say drunk. I would just say mildly inebriated mm-hmm. senior year in high school. Um, when Christian was born, we, uh, when, when Melissa realized that she was pregnant, we cut out all alcohol, all cut out all caffeine. Yeah. And then after Christian was born, we stayed clean for a while. I, I stayed completely dry for alcohol and caffeine for almost seven more years. Mm. But just, but just, you know, stay, stay at yeah. that point, everything else. Um, you know, the, now we're up to like a beverage. I mean, I dabble, <laughs> I, I dabble briefly, um, with some of the supplement stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll be honest, man. I never experienced any of the benefits that most people claim. The only yeah. thing is glucosamine. Glucosamine, I, I will, I will say. We feel a difference if we don't uh, take it. For your joints. If we don't take it, we feel it. <laughs> yeah. But I, I did, uh, I did like uh, creatine for a brief moment in time. Uh, so I felt, I felt personally nothing from it, so I stopped. That's um, actually a thing. So, um, and creatine next to protein is probably the most studied supplement correct, there is. Yeah. yeah. And they did find there were certain people that were non-responders. Right. And sometimes people fall in that category. And also, uh, creatine is found in meat. Yes. And I eat a lot of meat. red meat. So. so, honestly, if you're eating meat, and you're eating red meat, you probably don't need a creatine supplement. Correct. Yeah, and I'm, I'm a large red meat eater, mm-hmm. so more than likely... I was probably already getting what my body needed. So when I, like other people, they're like, man, I did creatine and I was jacked. I was amped. I'm like, man, some of that's placebo. Oh, I know. (laughs) Some of that is placebo. Placebos don't work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> actually, I think I'm placebo resistant. Yeah. Actually, I do believe I am part of the nocebo group. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm very skeptical of things. I, I take I'm them. hugely skeptical. Um, I'll CBD. I have felt nothing. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. And we've tried it in a variety of forms. No. Shea's topical stuff is about the best. So far. I've gotten a little with with the topical so, orally. Nothing. nothing. So yeah. so glucosamine. So I, I got knee barred. Can't remember how many years ago now. I got knee barred in in one session. God, this is probably twenty years now, maybe longer than that. So I got knee barred on one leg. I didn't tap 
I should have probably. Um, got out, continued, and by the time class ended, my knee was about twice as wide from the swelling. Oh Lord! And and now the the pain was starting to really come in. Yeah. So stupid me. I mean, I I, I have trained through, not around, <laughs> through. I have trained through evolved, though, every man. injury I've ever had. So while that knee is jacked up, I'm still training. Yeah. I got kneeboard on the other leg. Oh Lord. <laughs> I, I escaped earlier. Yeah. Thought it was fine. Same thing happened. So now, I mean, and th this part is no exaggeration. Um, it's taking me probably 10 minutes to stand up. Mm. So like, like right now we're sitting down. Yeah. I mean, I would have to prep myself and then I'd stand and then my knees would scream and I'd have to just stand there for a while. I'd be at home by the time you and <laughs> got up. So it was during that time period that we started uh, glucosamine. Yeah, you know, okay. Coastman chondritin with the uh, the MSM. And honestly, we didn't think it was working. No, I okay. I I'm I'm one of those people. I'm, we I'm, took the bottle. We're like, okay, so we're like, ah. So did it? Did it for about a month. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, my knees are feeling better. But this, this stuff's bullshit. Good. So I stopped taking it. Mm -hmm. Within a Coming week, back. yeah, the, the throbbing in my knees and everything else. So I did it again. I started taking the uh, the glucosamine again, and then again to myself, I'm going, man, it's another month later. Yeah. And I mean, the body from taking it easy a little bit naturally kind of, you know, tends to feel better. Right. So I'm like, this does bullshit. So I stopped taking it a second yeah. time. And within about a week, week and a half, the throbbing in my knees came back. Mm -hmm. It took me grand total, probably close to uh, eight to nine months yeah. of, of my own self version of rehab before I even felt comfortable again. Well, we do like an, an injectable version for dogs. Mm -hmm. And I've actually had non-walking dog mm -hmm. injection two days later walking. So they don't have the placebo effect because they don't know what yeah. the fuck you just did. Right, exactly. But non-walking dog to walking dog in 48 hours yeah. with an injection, it's like the super... Yeah. That's interesting because I actually haven't done I haven't done much research on glucosamine, so I don't know a lot about it. The the only thing because I I'm I I don't take stuff. I mean it's just right. it's just me. It's just who I am. Mm -hmm. um, and I talked to my uncle, um, who uh, basically arthritic medicine was his specialty. He was an MD. Yeah. And uh, and he goes, well, he goes, I'll tell you this. He goes, I prescribe it for my patients. Yeah. He goes. Whether it's placebo or not, some people find benefit. He goes, but there. This is him saying it. He goes, but in in my opinion, in his opinion, he goes, this has been around for a long time. It has been studied for a very long time. Yeah. He goes, and the one thing that I could safely say is that there were no major drawbacks to right. trying it. Right. Yeah. He goes. So he goes. So why not? Yeah. And so that, and that's where we, we, we I, and I, I did find that it, it did work for me. CBD, I wish, man. I heard so many good things from people about CBD. Uh, the only thing I can say with the CBD is with my palsy on the left side, mm -hmm. if I'm having a really bad day, if I rub some on topically though, oily yeah. didn't do anything. It does stop it for a little while. So, like it'll, it'll, it'll pause the, the twitching in the muscle. I, yeah. I think I'm just a nocebo. I mean, some people think <laughs> that um, when you ingest it, that it's not as effective because it has to pass through right. the digestive system. Well, and I agree because like Shay's topical ointments, mm -hmm. I feel effects from that. Like yeah, I'm, yeah. when I'm jacked myself up or whatever, yeah. like I, I pull the See, quad. But, but, but the thing day. is, though, is that the way, <coughs> the way the CBD was presented, 
Mm-hmm. You know, people are like, oh my God, it's life changing. It's amazing. You can get rid of painkillers you know, yeah, with, with this stuff. So the first, the first one we tried, I don't even know what the, uh, what the, what the milligrams of it was. Then finally what we did was, what was the last one? 1500. Yeah. We got a really heavy one. And, and I triple dosed. Mm-hmm. Nothing. That, that's the one that works on my, on my face. Yeah, so I will now say, we'll say it's very temporary though. It only lasts for like, 15 minutes and then yeah, right back. Right back. <laughs> it gives me that, yeah. that moment where I'm like, oh, it's not doing it. Sometimes you need that just yeah. to kind of de-stress a little bit. I know for me, CBD uh, didn't really do much, but um, for my wife, it's really helped her with anxiety. But and that, I've heard that too, anxiety. That, yeah, yeah it's, it's helped her with anxiety. She likes to take it every now and then. So, I think it made um, me more anxious because <laughs> I was waiting for it to do something. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm becoming anxious because yeah. it's not doing anything. Right, right. Like I paid 150 bucks for this bottle. It's expensive. Yeah, it is expensive. Yeah. But it's kind of, you know, the, the studies that were done on it were, I don't know. It, they weren't quite as thorough as they probably should have been. Yeah. And then people kind of ran with it. So, and that takes me. Well, that, that goes with all nutraceuticals. That goes with nutrition, period. Yeah. Because I've read, I don't know how many studies on nutrition. And the reality is, because you'll hear, like, this diet's the best. Right, this yes. The best. That yes. diet's the best. The thing is, if you look at most of the nutritional studies that were done, they were either A, observational, meaning that they just changed someone's diet and right. observed. There wasn't really any, like, and then the other one is surveys. So they sit yeah, on a survey sure, sure. and they say, oh, do you eat red meat? Yes, I do. Uh, how many servings do you eat a day? And then the person, listen, I've been doing training for a while now. And when I ask people like what they eat and stuff, they'll tell me a certain thing. What's this? this? Then I'll say, keep the food journal. The food journal is completely journal different. The next, the next, <laughs> three, four days later. And I'm like, all right, so let's add up the calories here. Blah, blah, blah. Right. And they're like, oh, my God. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, yeah, you don't even, you don't even realize. And then yeah. they're basing scientific knowledge right. on false data. False data. <laughs> and yeah, it, it's, I, so nutrition is actually one of those things that I just don't get into anymore with, uh, with clients and stuff. And really and truly, a lot of people don't know this, in, like in Florida, um, as a personal trainer, you're not allowed to write meal plans and stuff to people. It's illegal. Oh, technically. wow. You can make recommendations. Right. And you can say, this is a recommendation, but I can't tell you, like, eat toast at 8. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's technically, you're not allowed to do that unless you're a registered dietitian. Oh, wow. Um, it'll do it. Right. And right. everybody gets away with it, but yeah. technically, you're not supposed to. So, I guess that kind of falls into, like, giving legal advice when you're yeah. not an attorney. Right. I mean, so it's one of those things where it kind of comes with the territory because people are going to ask you questions about nutrition yeah. when you're a trainer. But I don't write meal plans for people and stuff like that. And I don't say you should do the Mediterranean or you should do vegan or you should do this or that. Um, I kind of let the person choose how they want to eat. And then we just kind of go with some fundamental things like this is how much protein you need to get, right. this is yeah. how much fat you need to get, how much carbs you need to get. I don't care where you get it from. That's your business. But these are the ratios that right. I want. 
Now that, that for me, to be honest, was, uh, I mean, cause I, M- Melissa and I have been pretty much athletes our whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually met, uh, in swim competition. Uh, we were both on the same team, just doing different events. Uh, we've both been athletes pretty much, like I said, our, our entire life mm-hmm. in, in one form or another and in one sport or another. Jiu-Jitsu has a, a, a term that they like to say, the Jiu-Jitsu lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, they misconstrue it. You know, it's like, oh, the Jiu-Jitsu lifestyle, it's, it's talking with a Brazilian accent. Eating acai bowls. It's eating acai bowls. <laughs> yeah, eating acai bowls and then saying, oh, you know, and, and then things of that nature. Um, what, what I can equate it to, though, is what I believe the Jiu-Jitsu lifestyle is. Because, I mean, I, I fought full contact. I've done, I mean, I, I've done point competitions. I've never won one. Um, yeah, Melissa did, but not me. Um, I got threatened to be DQ'd in most of them. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Too much, Too much contact. Too much contact. So that's where I was like, okay, so let, let's, let's try some full contact, which I did, I did really well. I, yeah. I have one defeat in, uh, in full contact. Um, but the entire time I was doing that, like I said, so part of it's age. Mm-hmm. So when we swam, man, I ate what I wanted. Yeah, I ate what I wanted when I wanted. I just whenever my body wanted, swimming is great. I fed it. I was also a distance swimmer. That was yeah. my that was my specialty until a different coach made me do butterfly and, and stuff like that, which I I was built for butterfly. Yeah. to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, in high school, I had a forty like forty six inch chest and like a twenty seven inch waist. Um, <laughs> He was built like Christian, only wider shoulders. Yeah, yeah. just a straight V. And yeah, yeah. And but if I turned sideways, I disappeared. <laughs> disappeared. Yeah. I had I had no chest. I was all, all right. back and lap. Gotcha. Um, but I was I was a distant yeah. swimmer, so I, I whatever loud. whatever the I so they would threw everybody in the pool and said swim, and I was one of the last ones in. So I just kind of like got the distance events by default because nobody else wanted them. Yeah. But so, so we've been doing that the whole time. But like I said, I just, I fed my body what I wanted. Just yeah. never wanted food. I fed it food, you know, things that day. I ate what I wanted, drank what I wanted, everything else. Yeah. When, when I trained Goju and Taekwondo and even when I was in the police academy, things of that nature, man, it was food time to feed it food. Mm-hmm. I never equated what I ate with my performance. Right. Until Jiu-Jitsu. Until Jiu-Jitsu. That was the first, <clears throat> the first time that I could say, man, when I had McDonald's for lunch, mm-hmm. I got my ass kicked that night. Yeah. My performance sucked. Yeah. And when I had a sandwich and a salad or something of that nature, as opposed to a Big Mac, right? then my performance got better. So for the first time, to me, that's the first equation that most people, because mm-hmm. when I karate, and other martial arts and things of that nature, swimming and everything else, it's solitary. Yeah. So when you go in, when somebody hands you your ass, mm-hmm. it sticks. You know it. <laughs> it sticks. Yeah. You know the. Well, we say so on the whole jujitsu lifestyle. We found that people will come in as heavy smokers. If they get they into jujitsu, smoking. they stop. You like within two weeks, they stop smoking. They almost all stop. simply because they either quit jujitsu or they stop smoking. Yeah, you. The I, two are not simply because compatible. they realize <laughs> how much it's preventing them or causing them to get their ass kicked. Yeah. yeah. 
so that the, the cause and effect starts to really show itself yeah. in very tangible ways. Mm-hmm. And so for, for me, jujitsu was the first time that to me, that's the jujitsu lifestyle is the first time that you start to put together that things I do outside of my workout mm-hmm. affect my workout. And you yes. start making changes now, to now, those things. Other people in other walks of life, I mean, other athletes, everything else, food journals and like, they know this. The, the, those who start to chronicle their meal intake, what they ate with their performance, they can start to see that when I ate this prior to lower performance, when I ate this prior to, or, or if I ate within a certain distance, you know, before the workout versus after the workout, things of that nature, they can really start to see those correlations. Mm -hmm. But for the average person, they have no clue. They never see that stuff. They don't even really most, most part, they only put two and two together. Yeah. You know, jujitsu forces change. Changes in behavior. Yeah. If you really want it, if you want it, it, it forces you to yeah, make changes. Yeah. yeah, it's um. So I think that, and I've been down every diet rabbit hole. <laughs> but it's I, it's my own personal belief and my opinion for everybody listening. This is an opinion. It's not. He's not making a meal. I'm not saying this is <laughs> But uh, there's a very good book by a man named William Walcott called Metabolic Typing. Mm. And I read that book and I really and truly think that the way that you eat that allows you to perform the best depends upon genetics. Yeah, yeah. So I think that certain types of people gravitate towards certain types of diets. Like for me, when I eat a Mediterranean style diet with a lot of like seafood and fish and stuff, I feel phenomenal. Um, but when I eat something that's more um, traditional, I guess, I don't feel quite as good. Right. Um, but then you have to take into account there's people who go vegan and they say that they feel great. Right. And then there's people who do the carnivore who eat nothing and say they but feel meat. great. And they feel great as well. And the thing that you have to look at, because each side is going to be like, no, 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 no. Right. Well, because that's bad. Well, because then you have conversely the exact opposite. Right. You have some people that go carnivore and like, man, I feel like crap. Yes. And you have some people that say I went vegan and say they feel like crap. And some say it's, they feel great. Right. It's And it just depends. And I think it really comes down to genetics. And um, it, it's just. So ha- have you done, because there the, the, well, 23 and Me does the uh, ancestry stuff. I haven't. But I've heard about people doing things that because now now that that stuff's getting a little deeper and everything else Mm -hmm. i've heard of of having more of a dietary plan based off of your dna and your genetics you know saying that you know you've got more you know nordic you Mm -hmm. know into your system so then it's recommending higher fish things of that nature because that's you know which definitely to me i agree i mean that that it makes, makes sense. more sense to me. Yeah. Why one person's going to have a reaction a little differently than, yeah. than another person that, I mean, that your genetics are going to play a huge factor. And then that. there's keto. I mean, there's just so many different ones. And the thing is that all these people that are doing like carnivore and all these other and vegan and stuff, they go and do blood tests. Right. And they prove and they say, look, everything in my body, I've, I've been 
doing the carnivore diet for three years and right. my blood levels on everything are perfect. Yeah, yeah. But then you have people who are vegan who go and have their blood work done and their blood work comes back just fine too. Right. But then you have people in both of those groups that go and do their blood work and it's all fucked up. Yep. yep. So it just, I think that just, I've done full circle on diet, right? Well, and then, and, and that also kind of comes into, you know, I think it was Robbie, we were talking on Sunday a mm -hmm. little bit. So it's like, there, then there's the, the general, I mean, because you have the, the three primary body types, mesomorph, endomorph, ectomorph. Yeah. I think they blend and change throughout your yeah, lifetime. Yeah, it's, um, you know, things of that nature. <laughs> Right, it's fluid, and 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 I do believe it is changeable <laughs> to an extent, um, you know, because I I firmly believe that I was a mesomorph early in life, mm. and if whatever I asked my body to do, if I wanted to bulk up, I bulk up. If I wanted to slender down, slender down. If I wanted bigger biceps, I had bigger biceps. Whatever whatever it is I wanted, my body would give me very quickly. And without a whole lot of work to yeah. really make it happen. Um, now, obviously, certain things, broad shoulders, mm -hmm. changing your skeletal structure to, to provide a frame yeah. that's going to give you that, man, good luck. Right. Um, you know, so there's certain things that definitely hold you back. And then, but then you get the people that, you know, that like right now, I'm at, I'm at a stage in life that, rounded features seem to be a little bit more what my body <laughs> wants to do. Um, I, I like the way you put it. Yeah. Features. <laughs> you know, round, rounded features and things of that nature. Yeah. And getting down into a sculpted physique, mm -hmm. you know, is, is a lot of work. And I've had friends that were that way. We could, mm -hmm. we could go in there and I mean, they could, I mean, they would put in so much work. Yeah. But then I had friends that were the exact opposite. They were string bean guys. I mean, 6'5", 170 pounds, mm -hmm. always lean. No matter what he did, he could not put mass on. Um, you know, it was just one of, those, one of those weird ones. But then you look in sports and you see some of these people that have the rounded features and things of that nature. And yet their cardio is amazing, you know. They yeah. can they, they can push and kill workout and yeah. everything else. You see them in some of the fighters. They're yeah. like, oh man, that dude looks a little soft. And you're like, holy yeah. shit, that kid can move. Yes. <laughs> you know. And then yeah. and then you see the you know some of the other guys that come in, they're 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 ripped and shredded, they got abs and everything else, mm -hmm. and they're gassed by the you know, by the end of the first <laughs> round. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I think a lot of that comes down to um, guys that are typically athletic like that, they don't they don't train that. So when you have larger fat reserves, you have more fat energy to right. pull from. If you can tap into it. Right. So, and that's why I think a lot of athletic guys, they don't train in a way that teaches them to use their athletic body right. in an efficient way. So they just try to run through everything. Right. So it's, I, I think an athletic guy could do really well. It's just that a lot of times they don't, they don't train in a way that's beneficial for their body. Right. So, or, or for the workouts that they're the actually working for. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause there, there's a lot of, that's the one part that kills me. I, I, 
I've been reading. I, I, I stopped. I haven't done it in a long time, but now with YouTube and everything else, it's hard, man. It's, it's Facebook and everything. Yeah, it's the, in your face all the time. It's in your face all the time, especially when, when you're into physical activities as it is. So mm. most of that stuff is, is already there. And I, I was reading um, most of the fitness and bodybuilding magazines since about probably 78, 79 somewhere in there mm -hmm. so i mean you, you watch the you watch the fads come yeah. and go get changed to a new name and then come yeah. back again and then disappear and then get changed to a new name and they cycle yeah you know as they're as they're going through the through the stuff well that's like the way that i eat i because i do intermittent fasting that's not anything new right that's, people have been doing that for a long long time i call that <laughs> my childhood yeah <laughs> yeah exactly like and it was just called being busy I mean, yeah, people I, have done that for a long, long time. And um, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I've been diagnosed with clinical depression a couple of times throughout my life. Uh, once when I was a child and then again a couple of years ago. Um, and intermittent fasting is the only thing because I refuse to take SSRIs and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I just yeah. Um, intermittent fasting has made me feel the best I've ever felt. And I've done some research into it, and I think the link is, um, so there's a thing in your brain called uh, BDNF, brain-derived nootropic factor, mm -hmm. it's whatever. But it's essentially like fertilizer for your brain, yeah, in yeah. a way. Um, when you fast, some of the studies show that it increases the amount of BDNF that's right. in your brain. When they studied depression, they found that m the majority of people who were depressed had low levels of the BDNF. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't know if that's what has made the difference, but I know the intermittent fasting has made me think I don't wake up depressed anymore. Right. Used to like I would wake up and it. it People don't know this about me because I seem like, you know, because I post on the internet and stuff, I'm always working out and also right, yeah. people don't understand, like, there are many, many, many days that I just didn't want to go to bed. Right. I didn't want to do it. Well, I mean, uh, Instagram and Facebook, that's filtered life. Oh, yeah. It's my highlight reel. That's right. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's my highlight reel. Yeah. I'm not going to take a picture of me sad in the bed. <laughs> You know, like, yeah. just didn't want to get up today. Yeah, nobody wants no, to see I would lose followers <laughs> if I did that. <laughs> Except for in Norway. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for my fans in Norway, yeah. calendars coming out soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they love me in Scandinavia. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where you just, you don't know what other people are going through. I mean, you, you look at their Instagram or their Facebook or whatever, you're like, wow, that person's life must be so wonderful. Right. And really behind it, there's, and not in every case, but in some cases, there's a real struggle that's okay. happening. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm one of those people. So intermittent fasting, we're, we're actually doing intermittent fasting right now um, yeah, to help us with, with the weight loss. We're doing a 8-16. Yeah. Um, we're eating starting roughly at seven o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. and then we shut it down about three in the afternoon and right. then from three in the afternoon so the second half of our fast is when we're sleeping mm -hmm. um and for me one of the reasons why we're doing it on that end is uh i was getting acid reflux um yeah. when i was going to sleep mainly okay. because we were not leaving the gym until about 
10 o'clock at night. By the time, by the time we get home and then we're, we're, we're shoveling a meal down our throats or whatever, we're literally going to bed with a full stomach. Yeah. And then the acid reflux is kicking in. So then I'm not sleeping. I, I, we only sleep maybe about five to six hours a night. Anyway, yeah. now add acid reflux to it. So now I'm waking yeah. up potentially once or twice in the middle of the night. And then I can't sleep for an hour after that because all the burning and all that crap. Yeah. So the intermittent fasting for, for that, I basically shut all that down. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist anymore because I'm going to be <laughs> stomach feel the, the body feels good, everything else. Um, you know, and then we wake up, have our first, first small meal. Yeah. Um, you know, I used to be exactly the opposite though. Uh, when I was younger, before I even knew what intermittent fasting was, yeah. um, you know, I would wake up in the morning, usually never even ate breakfast. It just yeah. wasn't part of my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. My first meal wouldn't be till probably one or two o'clock in the afternoon. That's me. Then I'm eating while I'm working out, all yeah. swim practices, football practices, yeah. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Then also though, we were more of the traditional family environment. Yeah. So then practice is done. You go home, you're eating dinner with the family, which usually maybe was between like seven o'clock. Mm-hmm. Then that was it. That was my last meal. So my, my eating window was probably somewhere between yeah. maybe noon to seven. Right. And then that was it. That yeah. was your window. And then, then. And that's, that's how I am. Cause I, if I try to eat in the mornings, it makes me feel like shit. Like I feel terrible like for hours afterwards. <coughs> and then I eat lunch and I feel bad again. Right. Eat dinner and I feel bad again. So it's this continuation from right, yeah. breakfast to dinner to the way I go to bed where I just felt like shit. Right. So what I started doing was skipping breakfast and eating into the night. Right. And like that, it cleared up and I felt great. Yeah. So I, I think that too comes down to, and that may be a genetic thing as well. Yeah, I, yeah, I, learn your, I don't know. Well, like for us, because the hard part was like when we tried to move our, our eating to the evening. Mm-hmm. We were training through most of our uh, meal window, yeah, um, and and so then then it was like again that was like scarfing down the last meal and everything yeah. else. But I I you know like I said the first time I did intermittent fasting I didn't even know I was doing intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. Just, this is just life. I mean, I wake up. I, I was rarely a breakfast eater or right. ever, which is the reason why as an adult I love breakfast for dinner. Because mm-hmm. it, it's the one meal I've had probably the least in my life. Yeah. And so, if, like, if we go out to a restaurant that serves breakfast all day, yeah, I I'll almost always pick a breakfast meal <laughs> for for dinner. Yeah. So we've been talking for a long time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's probably time to wrap it up. It is right. almost eleven o'clock. And- all right. So throw out because um, I know you you've got uh, was it Vanquisher. Vanquisher training. Training. Mm-hmm. So if you want to throw out your uh, Instagram handles, things like oh, that, yeah. so people yeah. want to contact you. Uh, you can follow me at Vanquisher Training. Um, you can DM me for programming. Uh, right now, I am actually working out of my garage gym. Um, it seems a little odd, but we were talking earlier yeah, about the whole, the whole commercial gym thing. I just couldn't do it anymore. There was too much... Um, there's too much bad stuff that happens behind the scenes uh, with trainers and stuff that it's, it's honestly disgusting. So just putting that out there, I'm not saying every single gym's like that, but most ones that I've worked at have been. (laughs) So um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing that on my garage right now, but I'm hoping to eventually 
you know, move into a, a studio or something. Yeah, and, and, and again, so for those for those you know that that are that are listening, especially my uh, my my Norwegian and Scandinavian people, um, that calendar's coming. It is coming. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be amazing. Um, like my Twitch. <laughs> but no, he's, he's been working with the fight group here, um, yeah. and uh, the general feedback from everybody that's been doing it, you know, has been phenomenal. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we, we push pretty hard here through the, uh, through the workouts, you know, and the like, and, you know, like I said, the, the feedback of the group that's been doing the workouts, um, not just from a strength, you know, uh, positioning, you know, things that they feeling stronger, but also feeling a little bit more limber. Yeah. Uh, you know, things of that nature. So, you know, for, for those out there, you know, definitely, you know, think about supplementing, you know, of something, something of that nature. I'm always a big fan of, you know, whatever it is you want to do, you got to do it. Mm -hmm. If you want to get better jujitsu, you have to train jujitsu. Okay. But then it gets to a certain point where if you want to really go to the next level, yeah, just training in what you want is not enough. Right. And so then you need to, you need to start going after those supplemental exercises and the like to really get the most out of everything that uh, that you got so right now there really seems to be some great synergy and everything going on with the the fighters and their fight training mm -hmm. and then supplementing that with the training that they're doing you know, yeah and, so and i think a lot of that too is because i am in here and sparring with them and, and, and you're getting that. and you're getting that knowledge of of what is required of them yeah as that they, was the as huge, they push yeah um, it was knowing what pieces they needed was the, yeah. the what i needed to learn and the only way to learn that was to do it is to do it and then keep so, doing it <laughs> oh no yeah. I, I plan on continuing yeah and I, I noticed you uh you just uh put a post out the other day about some continued education stuff that you're uh that you're doing um, yeah. with, with another individual who kind of specializes in yeah. MMA style. And again, not, not a person who, uh, you know, who just kind of read some books and stuff like that. I mean, he's, he's walked the walk. He's, he's, yeah. he's fought, he's, he's, he's done it with some of the, you know, some big, big teams and, and, and big fighters out there. So, yeah. And he's know. one of the few people that I've been able to find to, um, really learn from when it comes to strength conditioning and MMA. There's not a lot out no, there. Not. It's very scarce. So right. I've had to make a lot of, of, I've had kind of build my own bridges between weight lift or weight training and all that and what to do in here. But the only way I was able to do that was come here and do it. Right. But now, you know, I do want to take it to the next level and do, uh, his name's Phil Daru, by the way. But uh, I want to take his mentorship program and really because I mean, he he really knows his stuff, right? And, and that's a big thing that he he's been doing lately uh, with the stuff that's been kind of posted online about him moving his own personal stuff. Yeah, you know, a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I hate the term building his own brand. I kind of hate that shit. Yeah, but you know, but but he's he's taking his experiences and things of that nature and and kind of putting them out there for other people. To benefit, yeah, you know, from from his experience, and like I said, he's worked with some big people, yeah. and 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 big teams without naming. I think I've watched every YouTube video, he <laughs> and he put out quite a few. Yeah. yeah, I sit in my office and I watch his stuff, 
and then I repeat it. I write it down and I go through it over and over again right. in my head and with my body. And then I turn around and do it with the fighters that come. Out and I think that that's a, that's a huge thing. Like you said, of seeing it, doing it, making your own observations, mm -hmm. writing down your own results from it. And then you can't just know what it looks like. You have to know what it feels like. You have to know what yeah. it looks like, what it feels like. I mean, what can go wrong? What can go right? Like you have to understand all the ins and outs of what you're asking this person to do. And if I ask an athlete to do a movement that I've never done, how right. can I know? Right. So it's one of those things where you, you have to learn and you have to do. You can't just learn. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, all thank right. you, everybody. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. That was good. Yeah. I'd love to do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so definitely, as uh, as it gives a chance to uh, to train a little bit more of the guys and get get a little yeah, bit more observational experience. You know, experience and the like, we'll definitely do it again. I, I have plans of uh, I want to get the the team together a little bit and also kind of talk about their experiences and and how how they've grown. Yeah, okay, we need to get Kurt to come and help us get ready for pans. <laughs> as it grown, grown up. Well, I told Christian, you know, because he, he only he only goes down to uh, to fusion. Mm -hmm. um, I think three days a week. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Uh, and I told him, I said, look, I mean, it'd be really good for Christian to, uh, you know, to get over on, on those off days and yeah. get in the work. I mean, he's just, just right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm willing to help out anytime. So awesome. Awesome. So thank you, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> I wave, even though you can't, yeah, see, me. can't see me. We'll post it later. <laughs>